Welcome back to Sad Girl Study Guides. As always, I'm your host, Amelia Rush, and as always, I'm sad. We're deep into summer in Chicago, which means enjoying humidity that's high into the 80%, sometimes even into the low 90%. It's great. I'm so glad I willingly chose to live in this beautiful city, especially right now when the beaches are closed because our national administration completely fucked up their response to COVID. I'm utterly loving it, if you couldn't tell. But in all seriousness, if you're going to go outside, please wear a mask, socially distance, be responsible, etc., etc. COVID is not a joke. Please be safe and healthy and sane. I know we all want COVID to end as soon as possible, and it looks like wearing a mask, which isn't that hard, you guys, is probably the best way to do it. Anyways, enough about the state of the world and the state of the city in which I'm currently living. Let's talk about today's study guide subject, Eulalie Spence. The name Eulalie Spence probably doesn't mean that much to you. It certainly didn't mean that much to me when I started researching for the series, but without her, we probably wouldn't have some major aspects of American theater, that just seem commonplace today, such as Shakespeare in the Park. I personally have never gotten to see Shakespeare in the Park live, but I know what it is because, well, it's part of America. I'm sure everyone remembered the drama and controversy when they staged Julius Caesar a few years back, and their Julius Caesar kind of looked like Donald Trump, and who could forget when Anne Hathaway wore drag to be in Twelfth Night? So many bisexual hearts went pitter-patter, mine included. So, Eulalie Spence. Her study guide includes the actress Ida Lupino, an awful lot of sugar, and, well, Shakespeare. Let's begin. Eulalie Spence was born June 11th, 1894, on the island of Nevis in the British West Indies, which means she's one of the rare few members of the Harlem Renaissance who wasn't actually born in the United States. Her parents were Robert and Eno Spence. I was unable to find much information about the two besides their names, and Eulalie was the oldest of seven sisters. On Nevis, the Spence family owned a sugar plantation where the Spence girls seemed to grow up in comfort because the family actually owned the plantation and weren't just plantation workers. This implies that Daddy Spence especially did have quite a bit of money, or at least enough money to own land, which in the late 19th century means you have a decent amount of money. However, in 1902, the family fortune starts to change because a pretty major hurricane hit the British West Indies and the Spence family plantation was completely destroyed. As a result of this, the same year, 1902, the entire Spence family moved to New York City in an attempt to find a better life. You know, the whole American dream nonsense that we got sold on thanks to that cute little schoolhouse rock song about America being a melting pot, except it kind of left out the fact that, well, 
capitalism makes it really hard to achieve a lot of dreams. After the family settled down in Brooklyn, Eulalie's father tried to get a full-time job, but he really, really struggled. So the Spence family went from being fairly well-off in the Caribbean to living in poverty in the Bedford-Stuyvesant neighborhood of Brooklyn. Later on in life, Eulalie discussed how as a child, she wasn't actually aware that she and her family were financially suffering because her parents worked very hard to hide that from her and her siblings. However, Eulalie very quickly became aware of the racism against non-white people in New York City, especially racism against people from the West Indies. And this racism wasn't just coming from the white population of the city. A good chunk of the African-American population of New York also didn't love West Indians. They were afraid that West Indians who were moving to New York were going to take what few jobs African-Americans were going, were able to have because factory owners and factory bosses would give those jobs to West Indians who, as recent immigrants, could be taken advantage of and be convinced to work for a lot less. Once again, capitalism rears its ugly head and divides workers instead of uniting them. Soon after the move to New York City, Eulalia's father died, which meant that the work of having to raise seven daughters fell entirely on her mother, Anno. However, Anna was able to get a full-time job making school uniforms for a posh boarding school outside of the city. And for a while, the only clothes that the Spence sisters were able to wear were made out of the leftovers from the uniform material. And apparently, Eulalie absolutely despised this turn of events. She hated the clothes made out of the uniforms because she recognized, even as a young girl, that she was having to dress differently than her peers. Even though the family wasn't that well off, both of her parents had really stressed getting a good education. And that is what was going to happen, especially in Eulalie's case. She went to the Wadley High School, which was the first all-girls public school in New York City, and she excelled there despite her poverty and despite being one of the few students of color at the school. After graduating high school, Eulalie then attended the New York Training School for Teachers, which, in my opinion, made sense. She was a good student, and by attending the training school, she was pretty much guaranteed a job that would pay pretty decently. And as we've seen in several of the study guides of other women in the Harlem Renaissance, teaching was one of the few jobs available to an educated African-American woman at the turn of the 20th century. After graduating from the New York Training School for Teachers, Eulalie Spence started teaching in the New York public school system. Depending on exactly which source you read, her teaching career either started in 1918 or in 1927. I personally think the 1918 date is more accurate because if she didn't start teaching until 1927, there would have been a huge gap of time where she was unemployed and given her background, that just doesn't make sense. So she started teaching, and as she was teaching, she got interested in writing, specifically writing plays. 
1927, when Eulalie was 29 years old, she wrote her first play, The Starter. Apparently, she got inspired to start writing plays after she had a chance encounter with study guide favorite W.E.B. Du Bois, and he suggested that she use her interest in writing to try out writing dramas. And she was like, huh, maybe I should start doing playwriting. Except she didn't take all of Du Bois' advice. Instead of writing dramas, she decided she was going to write comedies. And as it was going to turn out, Eulalie loved writing comedies and was very successful at that. The next year, in 1924, she started attending the National Ethiopian Art Theater School. The goal of the school was to help African Americans get professional acting training and get jobs in the arts. Basically, she was the only one of the main Harlem Renaissance playwrights to actually have dramatic training as a result of her attendance at the school. So you go, Eulalie. During her time at the school, Eulalie wrote at least one play, which was called On Being 40. And she was able to get that play performed, and it was actually reviewed by a well-known African-American theater critic, George Schuller, who said he didn't really like the play because it didn't feel black enough to him, aka he felt like it wasn't authentic enough to the African-American experience because it was too comedic, which was going to be a major criticism of her work throughout her life. In 1926, Eulalie submitted one of her one-act plays, Foreign Mail, to a contest that the NAACP's magazine, Crisis, was holding. She ended up winning second place in the contest, which was a huge ego boost for her. And the next year, she won the same award for another one of her one-act plays. That next year, 1927, was going to be a pretty huge year for Eulalie Spetz. She wrote five plays in that year. Her, Fool's Errand, Undertow, The Hunch, and Hot Stuff. And even though she was living and working in New York City at the time, remember, she's still teaching while all of this is going on. Eulalie was mostly communicating with a group of writers who lived in Washington, D.C., and was known as the S Street Salon. The S Street Salon was led by Georgia Douglas Johnson and was a group of mostly female African-American writers and thinkers who wanted to chat about culture from a more female perspective and not have their ideas drowned out by some of the male thinkers in the Harlem Renaissance who, no offense to the men in the Harlem Renaissance, did have a tendency to drown out women's voices. Then, in 1927, Eulalie's one-act play, Her, got chosen to open the season of The Crigwa Player. The Crigwa Players. But what the hell are the Crigwa Players? Great question, and obviously I'm going to answer it. The Crigwa Players were a theater company that W.E.B. Du Bois had founded in 1925 because he felt that African-American theater had to be started totally from scratch by African-Americans for African-Americans. And to achieve this, he started the Crigwa Players. And Crigwa is short for the Crisis Guild of Writers and Artists, in case you're wondering where the name came from. In addition to fostering acting talent and putting on productions of plays written by African-American writers, the players also helped playwrights enter contests. 
and two of Eulalie's sisters, Olga and Dora Lynn, were actresses for the players. In addition to all the work that the players did within the African-American community specifically, they were also part of the larger Little Theater movement. The Little Theater movement was started in the early 20th century, and it was all about allowing actors and playwrights to experiment with both scripts and production. Within the Little Theater movement, there is much less focus on the commercial aspect of theater, aka how much money they could rake in by just recycling the same tropes again and again and again, and much more focus on innovation and creativity. Some major players who would come out of the Little Theater movement included Eugene O'Neill and George Kaufman. The same year that Her was chosen to open the season for the Crickball players, the players, as well, as well as Du Bois, sponsored another one of Spence's plays, Fool's Errand, to compete in the fifth annual International Little Theater Tournament. The play ended up winning one of the top prizes, which was a huge deal, because in addition to getting some cash, this meant that the play got to be produced in a Broadway theater, and that was super rare for a play by an African-American. In fact, another play by an African-American woman wouldn't be performed on Broadway until Elaine Hansberry's A Raisin in the Sun premiered over three decades later. Let's just sit and think about that for a moment. There is over a 30-year gap in time between when Eulalie Spence's play Fool's Errand performed on Broadway and when the next play by an African-American woman was performed on Broadway. In addition to having her play performed on Broadway, Eulalie Spence was supposed to also get $200 as a prize, which is about $3,000 nowadays, so not a tiny amount of money. However, Du Bois ended up taking the prize money and using it to pay off some production expenses, which meant that Spence, as well as the actors who performed in The Fool's Errand, didn't get paid even though they were told that they would in fact be paid for all of this. The actors, not surprisingly, were pretty pissed off and the Krigwa players ended up disbanding soon after. Great job, W.E.B. Du Bois. The loss of the prize money was the beginning of a larger falling out that would happen between Eulalie and Du Bois. Du Bois felt like Eulalie Spence should have been using her plays as a way to push against racism, specifically racism against African Americans. Eulalie Spence, however, saw things a little bit differently. She felt like theater should be about entertainment, and she said that she didn't have personal experience with things like lynching and Jim Crow because she hadn't grown up in the United States, specifically the Southern United States, and she felt like it would be insincere for her to write about such things. Also, she felt like that Du Bois was only concerned about Black people who were born in the United States, and that annoyed her. She felt like he didn't care about West Indians like her and other people of color who hadn't been born in the United States. This debate came to a head in 1928 when Du Bois published an essay in the magazine Opportunity that basically argued that all black art should be used as propaganda to further civil rights. Eulalie wrote an essay in response called A Criticism of Negro Drama. 
In this essay, she argued that African-American drama was the least developed of literary forms, especially compared to the novel and the short story, because plays by African-Americans were too reliant on protest plays and on plays that were written to be read in small groups instead of being performed. In the essay, she argued that the best way to advance African-American drama was for playwrights to just write African-American life the way it was and to be less concerned with the box office, aka two ideas that W.E.B. Du Bois did not exactly embrace. While all this was going on, Eulalie became closer with Alan Locke, the publisher of The New Negro and another one of the main leaders of the Harlem Renaissance, albeit one who often was in opposition to Du Bois. Under Locke's guidance, Eulalie began to embrace writing in dialect and really supported the idea that theater should operate more as a sphere of entertainment than as a political sphere. Even though Eulalie and Du Bois had this major falling out and she would never collaborate with him again, she continued to win prizes for her other plays and would briefly work as the director for an all-black theater company, the Dunbar Garden Players, in New York City. After leaving the players, she returned to teaching full-time at the New York public school system and acted and wrote for the Columbia University Laboratory Players. However, she would never produce or write for the public view again. However, in 1934, Eulalie did write one final play, The Whipping, which was adapted from a novel by a white journalist. Unlike most of her other plays, The Whipping was not a comedy. It told the story of a white woman who was physically abused by the KKK, and Eulalie was pretty proud with what she'd done with the play. She got a white agent, which was super rare for an African-American author at the time, and on top of it, her agent also represented famed playwright Tennessee Williams, Hugo Eulalie, and her agent arranged for the play to be produced. However, at the last second, and when I say last second, I mean four days before the premiere, the production of the play was cancelled. While the whipping was never produced, Eulalie did manage to sell the script to Paramount Pictures, who turned it into a film called Ready for Love, starring Ida Lupino. And Eulalie got $5,000 for the script, which is about $95,000 today, which isn't a small amount of money, although I do feel like the going rate for film scripts is probably a bit higher, and Eulalie almost certainly was undercharged, and I'm sure both her gender and her race played quite a big deal in that. However, once The Whipping got produced and adapted into the film, the studio made some pretty big changes. They got rid of all the race stuff, they removed the KKK plot, and The Whipping ended up becoming a love story about a newspaper editor and a young woman who was accused of being a witch. After writing The Whipping, Eulalie Spence would never write another play. She resumed teaching full-time and continued working on her own education. In 1937, she got a BA from NYU, and not content with that, 
Two years later, she got a Master's of the Arts from Columbia University. And while she was getting her Master's at Columbia, she worked with Hatcher Hughes, a Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright. By the 1930s, she made her name she made a name for herself as a teacher teaching English and speech at the Eastern District High School in Brooklyn, and she would teach at this specific school for over three decades. Through her time as a teacher at the Eastern District High School, she got a reputation for being extremely progressive. She openly talked about social issues and problems with her students, and she pushed them to think about gender and race in the works they were reading, which was super rare because this is the 1930s, where many decades before the creation of either gender or race studies as academic disciplines. Also, she was one of the few Black teachers at a mostly white school, which made her stand out even more. And she was going to have a particular impact on one student, Joseph Papp, who was at the school from 1935 in 19, 1939. As her student, you literally helped Joseph get rid of his strong Brooklyn accent and help him learn proper grammar, which he said allowed him to go on to college and then excel in New York's theater world. In fact, Joseph Papp said that Eulalie Spence was, quote, the most influential force in his life. And why am I talking so much about this random Joseph Papp guy? Well, Joseph Papp would go on to become a major theater producer in New York City. He would end up starting Shakespeare in the Park and was a founder of the public theater. And like he said, Eulalie Spence was the most influential force in his life. On top of this, he didn't even know about her career in theater until decades after he himself had been working in the theater scene because Eulalie kept pretty quiet about her earlier life. In 1958, Eulalie Spence retired from teaching, and after her retirement, we basically have no information about what she did, which is kind of a shame. The next time she really pops back up in the historical record is when she died on March 7th, 1981 in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania at the age of 86. In her obituary for the local Gettysburg Press, there is no mention of her time as a playwright or the various awards she had won. It only discussed her teaching career, which I think is very interesting. Despite this erasure at the time of her death, Eulalie Spence is definitely considered to be part of the Harlem Renaissance. She was probably the leading playwright of the Harlem Renaissance. Like I mentioned, she was the only one to have an educational background in the theater. But despite this, she, as well as many other playwrights from the Harlem Renaissance, have been consistently overshadowed by other writers from the same time, especially the poets. Honestly, I'm not sure why this overshadowing has happened. It hasn't just happened to the female playwrights, but really all playwrights from the Harlem Renaissance, so it's not a gender thing for once. Eulalie Spence is most known for her one-act plays. She wrote 14 plays during the 1920s and 1930s and had seven of them staged, which is a pretty high success rate for the time. The majority of her plays were comedies about everyday life in Harlem, 
and she believed that theater should reflect the everyday and didn't necessarily need to have a political agenda. In fact, she felt like the over-reliance on a political agenda in African-American drama, leading to the genre of protest plays, overall weakened African-American theater. As a result, she often used dialect and showed her characters doing immoral things like gambling and being prostitutes. This made some NAACP members, especially W.E.B. Du Bois, feel like she wasn't taking issues facing the African-American community seriously enough. However, at the same time, the fact that her plays weren't super serious and were true-to-life comedies allowed people, especially white people, to imagine African-Americans in a variety of settings and to see comedies with non-stereotypical African-American characters, which was huge. At this time, if you wanted a comedy with African-Americans in it, the main options were minstrel shows involving blackface and Eulalie Spence's plays were pushing against that. Another key aspect of her work, which I've discussed, was the fact that she used dialect in her plays. While on the one hand, this did make her plays truer to life because her characters spoke the way that people actually talked, it did lead to accusations from a lot of African-American leaders, once again, W.E.B. Du Bois, I'm looking at you, that she was treating her Black characters like characters in a minstrel show, which would just create more prejudice. However, more recent scholarship suggests that Spence may have been using this dialect as a form of resistance within her writing. Specifically, Adrian Mackey has written about how Spence's use of dialect was probably connected to her upbringing as an immigrant in Harlem and also allowed her to emphasize the strength of her female characters. And this article by Mackey, which I will be citing, was fascinating and really shines a light on Spence's work, not just as comedies and general acts of African-American resistance, but specifically as acts of female immigrant resistance within the larger Harlem Renaissance. So let's talk a little bit about a few of the plays that Eulalie Spence wrote. First, we have her one-act play, Hot Stuff, that she wrote in 1927. Hot Stuff is a comedy about life in Harlem. The protagonist is Fanny King, a prostitute and part of the Harlem Renaissance, and part of the Harlem numbers racket. The play mostly focuses on how Fanny is simultaneously sympathetic she gets beaten by her husband at the play's climax, but also unlikable since she steals from so many of her clients. Within the play, Spence was really focused on being as true to life as possible, which led to her facing criticism from the African-American community for being so frank about the less savory aspects of the New York community, specifically the numbers rackets, the gambling, the theft, and the prostitution. Then we have Her, another one act that Spence wrote in 1927. Unlike a lot of her plays, Her was not just a comedy, but also was a mystery. Her tells the story of a young couple who have recently moved 
to the United States and are trying to decide if their neighbor is the ghost of an abused immigrant woman or not. Her is probably the most autobiographical of Spence's plays. While it's not directly about her own life, it does apparently take a lot of elements from her parents' relationship and the big focus on the immigrant experience, both from the perspective of the young couple as well as the possible ghost, reflect Elialy Spence's own experience as someone who moved to the United States after childhood. Then we have Fool's Errand, which was also written in 1927 and which was also a one-act. Are you sensing a trend? Because I certainly am. Fool's Errand is probably Eulalie Spence's breakthrough play slash most famous play because that was the play that she won the International Little Theater Tournament with and she also got to have it staged on Broadway. Fool's Errand mocks the role of the church within the African-American community. It tells the story of Maza, a pretty young woman who is caught up in a love triangle with two men. The love triangle causes a lot of gossip within the town that Maza lives in, and pretty soon her Aunt Cassie and the wife of the local parson become very concerned about Maza's reputation and are absolutely convinced that she has become pregnant by one of the men, which will be quite the scandal. So, of course, they call a church meeting to figure out everything and drama and comedy ensue. Eventually, everything's okay, but within the climax of the play, which is the church meeting, Eulalie Spence is able to reveal some of the hypocrisy that occurs within various African-American church communities. And lastly, we have Undertow, the last of her major 1927 one-act plays. Undertow won second place in a contest by Opportunity Magazine and later on was performed by Howard University. It tells the story of a love, of a love triangle between a husband, a wife, and another woman and also deals with colorism within the Black community. Unlike a lot of Eulalie's comedies, Undertow was really focused on the psychological drama of the characters versus external drama or external comedy. Also, Undertow was very focused on being realistic on the romantic aspects of the story, which was rare for stories about African Americans at the time due to contemporary taboos about non-white relationships. While Undertow was fairly controversial when it was written, it is basically the only one of Eulalie Spence's plays to still be produced nowadays because a lot of what she's writing about is still relevant in the 21st century. In addition to having her plays deal with relevant social issues, comedy, and having dialect in them, Eulalie Spence really felt that her plays should only be seen when they were performed, not just when they were read, which went against the standard of the time when a lot of African-American written plays were read aloud in small group settings, aka salons, if they were read aloud at all, which is reminiscent of the 17th and 18th century practice of closet drama. Eulalie Spence absolutely hated this. She compared it to, quote, 
The song to be read, not sung. The canvas to be described, not painted. And she felt like plays had to be seen by an audience to truly be understood. So she was a big force in the African-American community to actually stage plays. Despite the various awards that she won and the fact that she really did push the community to stage plays and the fact that one of her plays was adapted into a film, which was huge for an African-American writer at the time, Eulalie Spence was basically unknown by the time of her death and afterwards. So why did this happen? In short, it was really difficult for an African-American playwright of either gender who didn't write protest plays to make a name for themselves. And there are two big reasons for this. One, there were quite a few white playwrights at the time who were writing plays about African Americans that weren't hideously stereotyped, aka Eugene O'Neill. So if you had a progressive producer who wanted to produce a play about African Americans that wasn't a menstrual show, they could go to one of those white playwrights. And two, there were other types of theater being created by African Americans, specifically African American written musicals, most famously Shuffle Along. And that had sort of become the niche for African American writers. And once again, if there was a progressive producer who wanted to invest in a play in a type of theater that involved African Americans and was actually written by an African American, it was easier to just turn to the musical side of things. So producers were just less likely to invest in comedies or non-protest dramas by African American playwrights, regardless of drama like Eulalie Spence. Despite this relative erasure throughout her lifetime and afterwards, there has been a recent reassessment of Eulalie Spence's work. She is being recognized more nowadays, even though her plays aren't necessarily being performed more. I did read a few of them in preparation for this episode, and while I could definitely, like, understand how what she was doing in the 1920s was revolutionary, they don't necessarily hold up all that well, but I think that's the case of so many plays from the 1920s, not just her own. For, so, for those fans of the study guide who prefer bullet points to a full-on lecture, let's do a quick little recap of Eulalie Spence's life. Eulalie Spence was born in 1894 on the Isle of Nevis in the British West Indies. She initially grew up in decent comfort. Her parents owned a sugar plantation, but in 1902, the plantation was destroyed in a hurricane and the entire family moved to New York City to make a better life. This did not happen. Due to general racism against African Americans and more specific racism against West Indian immigrants, her father really struggled to find full-time work and the family began to live in poverty in the Bedstew neighborhood of Brooklyn. Her father eventually died and her mother managed to get a job making school uniforms and the Spence girls managed to scrape by. Eulalie Spence went to Wadley High School, the first all-girls public school in New York City. She was a good student and then attended the New York Training School for Teachers. After graduating from there, she began teaching, most likely in 1918. She would be a teacher in the New York public school system until 1958. 
1923, Eulalie wrote her first play after being inspired by a chance encounter with W.E.B. Du Bois. The next year, she started attending the National Ethiopian Art Theater School, which meant that she was one of the few Harlem Renaissance playwrights to actually have real dramatic training. In 1926, one of her one-acts won a contest being held by the literary magazine Crisis. The next year, 1927, was a huge year for Eulalie. First, she won. First, she wrote five different plays that year. Then, one of her plays, her, was chosen to open the season for the Quigwall Players, a theater company that Du Bois had founded in 1925. Then, the Players and Du Bois sponsored another one of Spence's plays, Fool's Errand, to compete in the fifth annual International Little Theater Tournament. It ended up winning the top prize, which meant that Fool's Errand got to be performed on Broadway. It would be over three decades until another play by a female African-American writer would be performed on Broadway. As a result of winning the competition, Eulalie Spence was also supposed to receive $200 as a prize. However, Du Bois took the prize money to pay off some production expenses, which made Spence and the actors, who technically hadn't gotten paid, pretty pissed off. The Krigwall players disbanded soon after. And Spence and Du Bois ended up having a deeper falling out over what the purpose of African-American written drama was supposed to be. Du Bois felt like plays by African-Americans should be used to push against racism and teach people a lesson. Spence, however, felt like theater should be about entertainment and shouldn't just be about getting out a political message. She also didn't love how Du Bois was only focused on ending racism against people of color born in the United States. She was also focused on helping immigrants to the United States, such as West Indians like herself. This all came to a head after the two wrote competing essays in Opportunity in 1928. After that, the two would never collaborate again. Eulalie Spence returned to teaching full-time, although she did briefly work as a director for an all-black theater, the Dunbar Garden Players, and would occasionally act and write with the Columbia University Laboratory Players. In 1934, she did write another play, The Whipping, which ended up getting adapted by Paramount Pictures into a film called Ready for Love, with Ida Lupino as the star. While Paramount Pictures paid her $5,000 for the script, they ended up basically changing the entire story of, they ended up changing the entire storyline, so the finished product bears no resemblance to Eulalie Spence's actual play. After Eulalie returned back to teaching full-time, she got a BA from NYU, as well as an MA from Columbia University. As a teacher, at the Eastern District High School in Brooklyn, where she taught English and speech, she became well-known for being extremely progressive and pushing her students to think about race and gender in the works they were reading decades before gender or race studies were even a thing. She was a particular mentor to one student, Joseph Papp, who would end up founding Shakespeare in the Park and the Public Theater. In 1958, 
Eulalie Spence retired from teaching, and that's basically all we know about her life until she died in March 1981 in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania at the age of 86. As an author, Eulalie Spence is best known for her 14 one-act plays that she wrote between 1923 and 1934. Most of these one-act plays were comedies about everyday life that featured dialect and really pushed the audience to look at what the average life was, what the average day in the life was for the average African-American person living in Harlem. Eulalie's, even though Eulalie Spence wasn't necessarily that appreciated in her lifetime, she definitely had a huge influence on playwrights after her, as well as the New York City, as well as the general New York City theater scene through her mentorship of Joseph Papp. For this episode, most of my research came from Yvonne Schaefer's entry on Eulalie Spence in African American Dramatists A2Z, Craig Prentice's Staging Faith, the work Black Female Playwrights, edited by Kathy Perkins, Henry Miller's work Theorizing Black Theater, the collection Look at Me All Around You, edited by Louis Parascondarola in Adrian Mackey's excellent article Talking Black, Construction of Gender and Race in the Plays of Eulalie Spence. As always, for a full list of sources and relevant images, you can visit the website at sadgirlstudyguides.com. If you have questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions for future study guides, you can email the podcast at sadgirlstudyguides at gmail.com. Next week, our study guide will be about Georgia Douglas Johnson, a contemporary and friend of Eulalie Spence, who was also quite important in her own right. If you want to financially support the study guide, you can do so by becoming a patron at patreon.com dot com forward slash sad girl study guides. Patrons get access to a bunch of fun goodies, including bi-weekly tangent casts. Our next tangent cast is going to be about the African-American musical Shuffle Along, which I obviously mentioned in today's study guide. As always, if you want to reach us on social media, there's the Twitter, Sad Girl Study Pod, and the Instagram, Sad Girl study. The best way to help the podcast grow is to tell a friend or subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. And please let us know how let us know how we're doing. Rate and review or else I'll be sad. Thanks.